This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. Today on our podcast, I've got a guest, uh, Greg Woodhill, joins us. Let me tell you a little bit about Greg. So Greg Woodhill is a licensed psychotherapist who has spent thousands of hours directly helping sex and porn addicts recover from their addictions. He strongly believes that true psychological and emotional growth can occur only in a safe environment, which he provides for his clients through long-term therapeutic work. He holds a master's degree from the University of Santa Monica, where he developed his personal therapeutic style of empathic listening, exploring early childhood trauma, and encouraging personal responsibility. He is a certified sex addiction therapist, and he is the host of a brand new man podcast, which is kind of a new podcast exploring lots of issues on the podcast, right? Yes. Looking at some things. I mean, it's not just for men only, right? You have several female guests. Yes. Um, Yeah. So welcome, Greg. Actually, thank you so much for having me, Jackie. It's actually a brave new man. Uh, I like a brand new man. That's a great Uh, but. It's those go together. Yeah. A brave new man is the podcast and you're absolutely right. It's, it's not meant for a solely male audience. And in fact, that's not solely who's listening. It's really developed so that we can talk to men, to women, to anybody who identifies however they do uh, to really understand themselves and the other genders better. Right. Because I do think if men are going to change, women have to be part of that process. And if women are going to change, men have to be part of that process. No question. I have a bias and uh, it's okay. You know, I get thumped on the head every once in a while for this bias. At this time in history, I feel like men have the burden right now to make the most change. And I'm not saying that men are doing everything wrong. I don't think we're doing everything wrong at all. Um, And I'm not saying that women do everything right. But the way that I look around, both in pop culture and life and the media, this masculinity, which masculinity is a healthy, abundant, amazing thing. And it has so many facets to it that are healing and beautiful and powerful. When that healthy masculine drive gets pushed down the spectrum and when it becomes an completely self-centered, let's say, that it's excluding other people's needs, including the rest of the world, then it becomes what has been coined as toxic, as toxic Mm -hmm. masculinity. So I don't shame masculinity. I don't shame strong masculinity. But when it gets to a point where it's all about me or all about us with, with no regard to the other people that we might affect, that's when I think that natural drive becomes a bit... mm, I don't know the right word for it, but it becomes perverted and it becomes quite toxic. Yeah. So tell me first, I mean, that brings up so many good discussion areas we could go to, but tell me first, (laughs) um, how did you, like, what brought you into this work? Sure. As far as uh, doing the work with the the masculine or with addiction? Uh, Yeah, all of it. Like, and starting the podcast and reaching a larger audience on that platform. I work in my therapy practice with maybe 50 to 60% of my clients are, they struggle with pornography addiction and or sex addiction. And one of the things I've discovered over time in doing this work is how much of the natural gifts that men can bring to the world have been suppressed or they've been driven in different ways, or they've been really pushed down or swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. In working with men, I just happen to be a man who feels very comfortable crying, uh, expressing that I have hurt and pain and shame and all these things that we all have. Um, I have deficits, but one of the things that I've loved about just the way that I was developed is I'm I feel comfortable sharing those vulnerable emotions that all men have, but we're taught as boys that it's not okay. We're shamed, we're punished for it, we're made fun of, we're called names. And so in my office over the years, seeing men little by little peel away the onion, take away those 
those labels that they've put on themselves that they think that they're not allowed to be human and they're not allowed to show vulnerability. I see this beautiful, big strength and I get really excited about people harnessing that which is natural inside of them, men really uh, harnessing. Mm -hmm. And I see in their relationships, whether they're in relationships with men or women, that sometimes what they've been taught to do hurts other people. If I'm taught that I need to shoulder everything on my back and not show my emotions, well, then if I have a partner in a relationship, they're going to feel excluded. And they're going to feel potentially like they're not doing something right or that I'm shutting them out. So I've loved working with men, especially men that come in the door and metaphorically their house is on fire because they're deep in their addiction and they've just gotten caught and their life is in shambles and they show up saying, help me. And seeing them not only be able to stop addictions that have been driving their lives, but also then to embrace, especially in a recovery community, intimacy. And the way I define it, and I didn't make this up, is I want to know all of who you are. I want you to know all of who I am. And because of that, we're going to love each other in a more deep, a deeper and more real way. And so seeing these men really come to life as far as intimacy in front of my eyes, including all the vulnerability, that has been, for me, what has continued to drive me, make me so excited about this work. And the podcast was just a branch of that. I felt like when we do work with clients or when we talk with friends, we're one-on-one or we're talking groups of three or four, but to actually get people in front of me and interview them about their life experience. And, I, and throughout the life of this podcast, I think for sure we're going to have interviews with people who have opposite opinions and opposite life experiences. And that's fine. That's kind of the whole point is as men and for women, I want to have a conversation on this podcast that normalizes love, vulnerability, sharing our emotions, and and in any weather, again, whatever gender we're talking about, about being and encouraging men to be strong in the way that I think strength is defined really as um, character and heart mm. and vulnerability and assertiveness and love, not as dominance, not as insulting other people, beating my chest, being violent. And so that's what I'm hoping in this podcast, and I've had some great feedback as the podcast has been going on for people saying, wow, I had never thought about it that way, or you opened my eyes to something, or these are people that I've always judged, but now that I've heard your interviews and your podcast, I'm opening my heart, my eyes to that. It's really a beautiful thing that, that is opening my mind as well and teaching me a lot as well as other people. Yeah, and this is, a, this is an interesting time, right? for these things to happen. I think there are several yeah. things that have happened in the last couple of years that have led to this shift and led to this moment in time for men and women and you know people of all walks yeah. to have a seat at the table, right? And to learn how to do things in a different way. Yep. Yep. And one of my last one of my last podcast episodes was with Alex Katahakis. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about consent, what that means today, what consent for physical sexual relationship means. And we took a pretty deep dive on it, but one of the things we talk about is the patriarchy. And I love what she brings to this discussion because it really opened my mind. I always thought of the patriarchy as men are dominating the world, including the laws and women hate it and women are bumping up against it and we need to make room for all. And that is part of what it is, of course. But also what I never really thought about is that we all collude with it, even those of us who don't like it, even those of us who think, wait, this isn't fair. But from the ground up, from the time we're babies or the time we start, I should say, you know, hearing and observing the world, we are understanding where we belong in the world and we collude with it. Right. All genders. And, and I don't think that's a good thing. I think that, the, but, but our eyes are opening to it, like you said. And I think that everybody having a seat at the table and noticing even humongous news media outlets calling out, would this have been said for, let's say in politics, for a male candidate? Would they be under the same scrutiny? And people are talking about it and we're able, and that's part of your podcast, my podcast is being able to say, wait, let's talk about the things that are just going unnoticed so that we might not even be thinking about, but that are really important right now. 
So true. And I think one of the things that often comes up, right, as you talked about, I mean, women are part of patriarchy. It's a way that everybody's had to uh, navigate because that's how our society is set up, right? And so everybody's taken part in this. Yes. I think there will be parts as this starts to shift that for everybody, there's some fear that's going to come up with this. Yep. How, do you, how do you talk to men, right? Men a lot of times aren't in touch with their fear or they have a strong reaction to fear. How do you talk to them about this new world that we're trying to create? The number one thing that I pitch uh, on our Instagram account and on the podcast is empathy and then empathy again, and then even more empathy. Because mm. to me, the answer to this great question you just asked, Jackie, is can we for one moment or a million moments jump out of our own perspective and consider what it's like for other people? So I would say normalizing for men, some stuff is scary. And in fact, the title of the podcast, A Brave New Man, I say is really important because it's courageous. I'm not saying to men, hey, go home to your partner right now and bare your soul and open up and cry. Things that they were taught, you know, for survival, they weren't allowed to do. So the way I work with men is really to first open their heart and realize, as Brene Brown says, empathy is perspective taking. I don't know what it's like to live as a woman. I have no idea. I could never know. But if I listen and I use my heart and I use my imagination and I think, what if I were going through what whatever, whoever I'm listening to was going through, and I think that's part of the work of a therapist or a coach or psychologists or anybody, I should say a good friend, a good parent, a good you know, child, a good lover to sit and, and actually be able to absorb what the other person is going through, even if we don't have any baseline to relate to, or so we think. Mm-hmm. I tell men, deal with the fear. Feel the fear. Don't drive it away. Because as little boys, we're taught when we're afraid or we're hurt, we lash out. Mm-hmm. It's not okay to say, hey, Joe, you just really hurt my feelings on the playground. That hurts. That makes me feel ashamed. Well, you get pummeled for that, maybe physically and metaphorically. But to say, fuck you, or to punch somebody in the arm, or to make fun of them or their mother or whatever it is that you know, boys are taught to do, that's socially acceptable. You might get in trouble for it, let's say, at school, but at least it's acceptable. There's a lot of, and this is a controversial term I'm about to use, spoiler alert, but I have had so many men in my office, mostly in their 20s, but some in their 30s as well, who have cried, and then they get embarrassed and they say, this is pussy shit, and I say, why? Who taught you that? To cry, to feel sad, to feel vulnerable? Like that's neither masculine nor feminine or anything in between. It's human. Right. So feel your fear. And if someone's sitting across from me in in any circumstance, what I would say is like, let's just sit with that fear. You're going to survive it. Which is so, sorry to interrupt, so hard for men to do, right? Because they're taught to fix it. That's right. Just sitting and holding it is going to make them super uncomfortable. And yet that's the very way through it. You're absolutely right. And you just named what I think is the biggest cliche in male-female relationships, which is women in general want to be heard. Men in general want to fix it. And I say it whenever anyone will listen to me that, (laughs) that the way to fix it And I've worked with clients who come back and say, I can't believe how effective it was because I did, quote unquote, nothing. Right. And I, let's say a man is married and I help my wife tremendously. I basically, it's it's almost like this image I get is like they handcuff their hands, they put duct tape over their mouth and they just open their heart. Like, don't tell her what to do. Don't tell her. They want to get at a wrench and a hammer and they want to fix it. They want to help the situation. And I said, you will be helping immeasurably If you look her in the eyes, open your heart, imagine what she went through and just let, let yourself feel what she might be feeling right now. And then say whatever comes to your heart, Mm -hmm. right? There's no line we could feed somebody. I'm sorry, or that must've been so tough. Those words might come out organically, but, but it is, and it's vulnerable to let yourself sit and feel. So that's fixing. And that's what I tell men. If you want to fix it, close your mouth open your heart and open your ears and you'll be helping both of you. 
It's healing to connect with other people. So really that's what I work and that's where the connection comes, right? The yeah. connection comes in just sitting with and feeling and allowing somebody to feel you feel them. Yes, no question. I know that's been healing for me. In some of my darkest times, one of the things, the most, I think, healing thing I've had is people who I know love me and I love them who just hear me. Mm-hmm. They hear my story. They know I'm suffering. And that helps. It helps right. on all different levels. And there's... There's four pillars that I came up with for yeah, the talk about masculinity. This. I'd love to share them. Is the first one is strong, and I define it in a different way than ha- what has been described in general as far as male strength, which is strong like I picture a tree, uh, uh, an oak tree rooted into the ground. I know who I am. I have a sense of myself and my worth, and you pushing on me or insulting me is not going to push me over. Because you tell me something bad about me doesn't mean I have to lash back at you. You can't ruin my sense of being a lovable, worthy human being by discounting something I do. If you said right now, you know, you're not intelligent and this interview is stupid and you're obviously a bad person, well, then I could go the rest of my day feeling awful about myself. Or I could say, wow, that didn't feel very good, but bless my heart, you know what I mean? I got up, I did what I said I was gonna do today. If there's something I can change, I might change next time and try to be better. But I'm not a worthless, unlovable piece of garbage just because someone else says so. So strong as far as I'm going to be grounded in who I am and, and the reality of who I am. I'm not going to need to take it or try to be someone else. The other one is some might feel like it's the opposite, but it's not, which is vulnerable. It's a bit of an oxymoron even to say that, I think, because when I say vulnerable, I mean to allow others to see my feelings. Mm. And if I can let you, Jackie, know when I'm sad, well, then that isn't vulnerable, meaning that I feel strong enough inside of myself Mm -hmm. that I can show you that I'm like everybody else. I have times where I feel strong and confident and happy, and I feel times when I feel sad, when I feel hurt and ashamed, and that I can be allow you to see those parts or a romantic partner to see those parts. It's humanizing. And, I, and like you said a moment ago, it's healing for everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, I love those two together too, because I think the way that you define strong and the way that you talk about strong really is this internalized strength, right? That yes. comes from knowing yourself, the good, bad, and otherwise, right? We all have yes. defects. We've got to be comfortable <laughs> with those. Yes. And, and we can't really be vulnerable with others unless we have that internalized strength. I agree. So they really do, like they're, they're pillars, right? They're, they've all got to be there to hold the person up. Absolutely. And as we know, people aren't born feeling ashamed of their emotions. Right. We learn To spend a, a day with a newborn, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Not- they're not afraid. <laughs> yeah, they're not afraid to cry. They, and, and they're not afraid to then five seconds later be laughing or smiling. They, they're, right. we, we're taught, we're born with, with strong yes. emotions and we have them today. I was going to say, and newborns don't care if you don't understand their emotions. That's right. right? They're going to keep, they're going to keep protesting until you figure it out. That's right. And you can judge their emotions. Then they, they'll still keep crying. Right. And that is where like randomly enough, that's the third pillar is to be empathetic and loving. And mm-hmm. so part of, part of what we're talking about is if someone has been taught to hide their emotions or to feel ashamed of their emotions, well, I can empathize with that too, because they learned, whether through caregivers when they were growing up, siblings, friends, romantic partners throughout their life, or anywhere in between, sometime between birth and this moment, they learned over and over and over again that it's not safe to show their emotions. And that's like something what you talk about, what I talk about is trying to redefine that in people's brains, but it has to be experiential. Mm-hmm. They have to have the experience of talking to someone. What a beautiful thing it is when I can be that person, you know, or you can be that person or any of us can, that people start to rewire their brain around an experience and say, oh my gosh, like my sadness is acceptable. My shame, my fear is acceptable. It's okay. And to be in the presence of someone who loves and accepts them and doesn't bring up that unsafe feeling. It's like, that is why I say vulnerable in quotes, because if someone is allowing you 
to see their feelings, well, then there is that internal strength. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. But they're fighting against a strong current. And this is not gender specific. We all get taught what is, as we're kids, it's survival. Mm -hmm. People loving us, liking us, that's survival. So we learn ways to survive and thrive in the best ways possible. And unfortunately, that gets to some of us trying to hide what's really happening inside of us. For sure. We have to disown parts of us as well in order to survive. Absolutely, which is heartbreaking. So the loving part, I look at men, I look at women, and when women are just grounded and rooting in their loving energy, my God, there's nothing like it. It's like a warmth that just fills your soul. It fills the room. And it's one of the most healing factors on this planet. Now, when men are doing the same, it's a completely, there's overlap, but it's such a different and beautiful energy as well. Men's love is big. Mm -hmm. And when we allow ourselves to just be in the loving, having nothing to do with romantic or sexual, just love. It has a different texture to it than a woman in her loving. And of course, like I said, there's such similarity between the two, but there's a strength and such a different strength, I think, in our genders and how we express love. So that's one of the things I encourage men to be in their empathy. Think about what it might like, be like to have been someone else going through that experience. Allow yourself to feel whatever emotions come up with you and just dish out the compassion and understanding. Because I operate, and a lot of people disagree with this, I operate from an understanding, I got heard this first at the University of Santa Monica, which is that we're all doing the best we know how at the time. Mm. Even if the best we know how is awful. Right. Even if we know I shouldn't steal this thousand dollars out of your purse, but I do it anyway. Unfortunately, in that moment, that was the best I could do. And can I do better today? So that can lead us to have compassion for ourselves and other people. That doesn't mean let people walk all over you. I would say have strong boundaries. Don't let people steal from you. And if someone harms you, you do what you need to do to be whole. However, that there are villains and heroes in this world, unfortunately, it's easier to conceptualize the world that way, but it's just not true. There's just a lot of people in pain, I think. I think that's so true. And I think we're at a time, I hope we're at a time in our, at least, in the US, right? I mean, there's a lot of turbulence going on, but I hope there's, I I hope it leads us to this point of recognizing the pain of everybody and knowing, making healing a priority. Yes. You know, you're, you're nailing it. In our country right now, it's never been like this. Well, I can't say never. I haven't been along long enough to say never, but uh, but but it's been a while. It's been a while, and in my lifetime, I've never seen people so angry and so divided. And I know which camp, <laughs> which side, you know, my heart and my brain fall into. However, when I read quotes and things and hear interviews from people who are on the exact opposite side of me about how they feel about things that the people on my side say, I can start to understand how they feel. Mm-hmm. They don't like being attacked for how they feel, whether you're a liberal or a conservative. When the other side talked about how awful you are, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And it makes you even more grounded in the way, like, how dare they say that about me? And so there's so much againstness right now. Right. And it's scary. Uh, it's Which scary. I think is that bubbling up of pain, right? And even for those who just kind of say, I'm turning off the news, I'm not voting, I'm not doing anything. I still think that comes from a place of pain. I think so too. You know, I did that, Jackie, after certain things happened in politics and someone very wise in my life, I said, you know what? I don't like certain things that are happening. I'm going to turn it off. I can't, ha- I don't want to read this. I don't want to see this. And you're right. It came from pain. It came from anger. I was like, I, I feel so powerless. And someone very wise in my life said, okay, you can do that, but be aware that's your privilege. Mm-hmm. You get to turn off the news. You get to stop reading because you don't like it because your life isn't going to change tomorrow. And your life isn't going to change a year or two from now. Or if it does in these tiny degrees, it may be better, maybe worse. But if you care about what's happening to everybody, you need to be plugged in. And I don't think that's true for everybody, but it's true for me. That when I chose, I said, I'm going to bury my head in the sand. And I was proud of it. I said, I will live a better life if I don't attach to what's happening politically. But then I realized, wait a minute, but then what more can I be doing if I keep myself aware? And this is a tough one. If you, <laughs> if you think about which political party, let's say, if you identify with one or the other, let's say, 
Can you for a moment, this is just an exercise in humanity, think about people who wholeheartedly disagree with you or the ringleaders, the people at the top of the food chain on that other political party, and take a moment and send them some love. Mm. It's like the religious version of praying for somebody. Can you take somebody who makes your skin crawl and send them love, some form of love? I'll tell you right now, I have a hard time doing that. That is naughty. I'm not telling anybody to do something that I also don't struggle with. But to realize they know that they're right. They believe their way is the best way to do things. Even if you think their ways are crooked or illegal or whatever, to us, these people, political figures can be villains. Mm -hmm. I know that's how I conceptualize some of them, but in their hearts, they're the heroes. Right. Think of someone hearing this and saying, well, that's just so naive and stupid. And that's just giving, you know, letting people walk all over you. I say, send them love and then go do everything you can do to change the policies you hate, to empower the people you think need to be empowered. And that's what we're talking about as far as the patriarchy and male female dynamics. It is time for men to realize all the things that they are doing right, that are helpful and loving. And it's time for us to realize all the things we're doing wrong, all the ways we implicitly or explicitly have colluded with, this is my place in the food chain, so why should I do anything about it? And I think we need to be talking about how to fix it. And by the way, it comes to my mind, the final pillar in my you know, four pillars yes, of yeah. new masculinity is being assertive and not to be confused with being aggressive. Right. And that's that inclusive versus exclusive thing I was saying earlier. I so think assertive we, would come from your strong definition. Yeah. Yes. And we all have this assertion inside of us. It's not, of course, it's not gender specific. Can I draw upon my natural instinct as a man to drive, to move forward, to accomplish, even to fix in the different ways like we were talking about earlier? Can I use that healthy drive to do good? And there's this amazingly uh, popular and incorrect cliche that's gone around forever that men have said, I've heard this since I was a teenager, that women love assholes, Mm. that the nice guy never gets the girl. They only like men who treat them badly. That's just flat out wrong. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that a blanket statement that, encapsulates all men or all women. We can't do that. Everyone's unique and we all have our experiences. But what I see and what I work with men to see is, I believe anyone, male or female, but let's talk about women for a second, are attracted to people who feel confident within themselves, who have a backbone, who know their value and worth. And so if somebody is out there, let's say there's a man out there acting like he doesn't care acting, you know, like he has a a shield of armor on and has no emotions and treats women badly. Well, one thing he's portraying, whether true or false, is that he thinks he's amazing. Mm. Now, what if you were a really nice, sweet, wonderful, loving man who also thought he was amazing? Right. Who also felt like, I'm going to go ask this woman out at a bar or a restaurant, and I feel like I deserve for her to say yes. I'm a great guy. She might be a great woman. What a lovely thing if we end up going out, not as a supplicant, not as you're so pretty, you're so beautiful, please will you, you know, do me the favor of going out with me. That's not attractive to, to barely anybody, mm-hmm. but assertive in, I'm going to take you into consideration. I'm going to take myself into consideration and I'm going to move strongly toward what it is that I want. That's healthy. Yes. And I'm going to take feedback. Let's say I want to get to point, you know, Z and I'm on step B or C, and you are in front of me and you say, wait a minute, I don't want you to go past here because this is the problem here. Then I can say, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. So I still want to get to point Z, but maybe my pathway isn't the right way and I can take in feedback and I can adjust because I'm taking other people into consideration. That's the difference between assertive and aggressive. Aggressive is I want what I want, I want it when I want it, and I don't care what I have to do to get it. Right. My husband and I recently celebrated 26 years of marriage and I've had some people ask wow, me like, congratulations. thanks. Yeah. And I've had some people ask like, so 26 years, right? Like that's, that's something. And, and how did you guys get to 26 years and still really like each other and still have passion and all of that in the relationship and right, not just kind of fall into ruts and routines. And I said, yes. I, I think so much of it is that a, 
and this is our own stories, right? But both of us came in knowing that we had no idea what this looked like. Like <laughs> we knew yeah. what we didn't want it to look like. That's, that's yes. where we started, right? But then I didn't think that I knew more about it. I don't think he mm-hmm. thought I'm going to fix this for us. I think we were both just willing to learn from each other and to grow and to create something, which I think for so many couples, if they're coming in, and I'm not saying, you know, when I got married, I had this super great security. But I think if we come in with this confidence of like, I've got something to offer, right? Like I'm, I, I know some things and I don't have everything to offer, but I've got some good things to offer. Yes. There's so much more that we can do in our relationships and so much more that we could create when we're not having to kind of just swirl around the insecurities. Yep. That's right. And to be on autopilot. Right. Or how I've always done it in the past. So let's talk about, we've talked some about how, what men are doing wrong and what they're starting to do right. Anything more you want to add on what men are doing right? Well, I think men, one of the things men, (laughs) my very first episode, my guest said, and I love it. She said, the thing that men are doing most right right now is acknowledging what they've done wrong, what Mm -hmm. they've gotten wrong, I should say. And so I think men are actually doing a ton right. I think they're, and there are huge men's movements, huge men's movements where men are learning and there's all kinds of different groups and, and retreats where men can get together and learn how to be vulnerable, loving, intimate with other men in a safe way. Right. And so I think that men looking at themselves and championing women more than anything, championing what hasn't gone right and making room for other people and, and all genders to, to be seen and known and understood and not discriminated against. It's a process. I don't think we're anywhere near there, but I think that I think that men are coming forward and being more vulnerable than ever before. One last thing I want to say in answer to your question, and this okay. blew my mind. And I, <laughs> I've mentioned it on so many interviews that I've done. And then so many interviews uh, on my podcast and so many interviews with people I've talked to. There was a game seven in the NBA playoffs about a week and a half ago. And it ended in a, at the end of game seven, whoever wins goes on to the next round. Whoever loses their season is over. And it ended in game seven on a buzzer beating shot. And the crowd went crazy, deafeningly loud. They were so excited. Their team had just won. And the star player for the other team is named Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. He immediately began crying. Mm-hmm. Enormous. I don't know how tall he is. He's got to be 6'6", six, 6'9", six, six, something like that. Huge, muscular man. Very masculine guy. Just start weeping on the court. And immediately, one of the opposing players, Mark Gasol, went right up to him. And they had this moment where they were hugging and he was talking in his ear. So this one guy had just won and, and his team gets to go on to the next round. But he was hugging this man from the other team and just giving him this pep talk. And it was these two men embracing heart to heart. Another man came over, put his arm around him. And this star with cameras right in his face cried and was allowing himself to be supported and listening and nodding his head and walked down the hallway to the locker room crying with the cameras filming him. And I think that moved masculinity forward a hundred years. Sure. Uh, It was so beautiful. And I think that's one of the many things that men are already doing right, right now. It's okay to hug even big, huge masculine sports stars are allowed to cry and hug and support each other. And I, my jaw dropped when I was in awe of it. I'm going to talk about that for the next 10 years, I think. Yeah. And hopefully we have so many more to talk about like that. (laughs) That's right. I agree. So, okay. So let's talk about what women are doing wrong and what women are doing right with this new territory that we're forging. Well, I think women have just done, to be honest, so much right over the years. Women have been nurturing. uh, They've been holding in the energy. I think women are kind of like the glue that hold us all together. We've heard throughout the years, like, what if women ran the world? What if women were the presidents and the prime ministers and the queens all around the world? Uh, Would there even be war? Now, I'm not saying women are perfect. Of course, that's not true. But like women, I think, have so much figured out in how to hold and how to love and how to drive. And in fact, that you, we look around in the shift that you've been talking about that's been happening for the last many decades of women occupying both politically and in business places of power. It's like women have had to push harder than we can possibly imagine 
to get through the glass ceiling. Um, women have drive and they basically said, however long it takes, whether it's me or my, you know, the ancestors to come or my sisters or my children, we're going to keep doing this. And we're going to keep saying that we are equal, if not uh, m- you know, more ready to be in leadership positions. And, I, and I, my hat's off to women. And I just, some of the most healing friendships and relationships I've ever had have been like, because women are strong in so many different ways. I think, and this might be a controversial answer, I think that one of the things that women have gotten wrong, and I don't think it's their fault, is, is playing into what men have taught them they need to do in order to be loved and accepted. I think that, you know, we are, we're just, we're biologically, we're very different. And so in men, objectifying and talking about seeing and and portraying in all media and pornography, women as being how beautiful or how sexy you are is part of your worth and part of your value. And up in the top three, right? I mean, really. Top three of? The top three of things that make you valuable. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? God. I would it's say- not like it's one of the things. It's like, no, it's one of the top things. Yeah, I would go so far as to say it's the top one. Yeah. Not, not in reality, but that's how it's portrayed. And I think yeah. in some, you know, I was a teenage boy and then a college boy and then a guy in his 20s. And of course, it's like throughout my life, I hear it's disastrous mm-hmm. how evaluated women are reduced to numbers and then evaluate, oh, if, if a woman is considered a 10, then she's this valuable. And if she's that, and then uh, I want to be sexual with this woman, a guy might say, and then if he gets to, well, then she kind of loses value. And if she says no, then she kind of, you know, gains value, but also loses it. It's like, it's like guarding her sexuality. I think it's a, it can be a no win situation. So one of the things, and I, this is what I think, I don't think it's a, it's not a criticism to women. I think it's some, a dance we've all done together is men and boys and men have taught women that that's the way that how they look, how sexy they are and how sexy they act is the way that you can be higher in our esteem or our book. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you do that, we're going to call you a slut. Right. And if you wear the clothing that we want to see you in and you do the things we want to see you do, well, then you have no morals and you're a slut and you're not the type of woman to marry. How is anyone supposed to succeed in that? Right. Crazy. Because it's also a way of diminishing women, right? Just putting them like we want them to be attractive. We want them to be sexy. And yet at the same time, we think they're less intelligent or less capable if that's what they are. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's compartmentalizing to touch on pornography for a second. It's like pornography is in general, as far as heterosexual porn, let's say it's made by men for men. Mm -hmm. That's that. And then, well, and I will say I've worked with some uh, lesbian women who will even say lesbian porn is really made for heterosexual men. Yes. (laughs) That's not the first time I've heard that. You're absolutely right. Because that's who's watching in general. That's not only watching, but it's like men are the ones compulsively, obsessively, or even, I don't know, some might say even healthily, if it's something they watch from time to time, clicking on porn, feeding the advertising, paying for it. And so, of course, it's a skewed version. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's sex education for a lot of boys. Yeah, I was reading an article, I think it was from NPR this past weekend, and it was talking about, and they had interviewed several, both men and women in the porn industry, talking about, I mean, I don't know that they're going to lead the charge on changing this, right? But they were talking about how they know that so many are getting their sex education from the porn and how damaging that is. Yep, absolutely. Because if you watch pornography, you can see, uh, I don't know. If you watch for 10 or 20 minutes, you could probably identify like 20 or 30 or 40 things that way I get it for porn. Mm-hmm. This is what you do. But in real life, this may, or, this may not be okay. Yeah. Uh, and it does, what it does teach, you know, speaking of consent earlier, it portrays women as porn ready. Mm-hmm. As if I seduce you, whether that's softly or aggressively, you, the woman, will want sex and you'll want it the way I want it and the more sort of masculine, sort of aggressive, toxic way uh, than the more of a turn on it is for the woman. That's how it's portrayed because, like I said, it's men making it for men mm-hmm. in general. Well, and so, for a lot of young women, they're watching porn, learning how to be, right? right. What, what does right. he want from me? Yep. And 
I won't go into the specific details, but I've read anecdotal articles and I've read studies that break my heart about girls in their teens, their first sexual experience with a boy, and some of the things that they do without asking mm-hmm. for consent, without talking about it, things that are unbelievably porn specific that the this teenage girl is having done and thinking, oh, I guess this is how sex ends, I guess, because that's what he's doing. They have no idea. They don't know what's coming and they don't know what to expect. But the boys are just seeing it on porn and thinking this is how the act ends or this is how a girl gets turned on or this is whatever. So it's like it's training men to be really horrible lovers. Now, there are people, men and women, who actually gravitate to and love the type of stuff that happens in porn. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Right. Um, However, it's consensual. It's consensual. That's exactly right. That's a big difference. No question. And we have to be talking about it. You know, that's Mm -hmm. another thing I think that men and women, we all were taught to feel somewhat ashamed of our arousal template because we think maybe there's something wrong with what I like or the wrong way I like it. To be able to talk about that openly and one of the things I've coached couples and individuals in my practice is it is fun to learn about your lover. Mm-hmm. And I, I work with people who have been married well over a decade who have never actually had a conversation. What feels good to you? When I do this or when I do that, what do you prefer? Do you like it softer? Do you like it harder? And basically letting the, and, and it's not, in my opinion, it's not cold or clinical or awkward. It's fun. Can we be in a... Well, yeah. I mean, you could be robotic in those conversations, but why, sure. why would you be? That's not fun. Absolutely. And, and there's no shame in not knowing exactly what makes someone else tick. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you are, you know, getting to know somebody in a relationship and starting to have a sexual relationship, you shouldn't know exactly what that person likes. How could right. you? We're all different. And so you do what you know, you do the dance. But to me, without being cold or weird or clinical, to ask, and that is a vulnerable thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't feel vulnerable, but you open yourself up to say, you know, even at times I've been told clients to say, like, when you're, let's say, having oral sex or intercourse to say to your partner, it's like, tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Not every time. But it's like, as you're learning, like, like, what do you like? How, you know, do you prefer this? Do you prefer that? And, it, and again, it can be fun. It can be sexy. It can be playful. And right. so all of that is really, you know, learning to de-porn the brain and, and really connect into what it can be like to be physical with somebody, knowing that you don't know a lot of what there is to know. Well, and I will also add for a lot of partners when I work with them, right? Like, For so many of them, the sexual relationship is now kind of stripped of some of the fun because if he says anything that's new or something that isn't just maybe very vanilla, right? Like they think this is from porn or this is from an affair or right. And so all of a sudden it's this traumatizing thing. And I think for men who watch porn, I think they have to realize that there's some authenticity that's being compromised in the sexual relationship. That's a great way to say it. Absolutely. And when you say partners, do you mean partners of addicts or people who yeah, watch? Yeah, that's what I was referencing. Uh-huh. That's what I thought yeah. you meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And when the porn addicts slash sex addicts that I've worked with say, how long is it going to take? Let's say if they're heterosexual, how long is it going to take before my wife or my girlfriend gets over this betrayal that she's found out about and then now she knows about my addiction? The only possible answer is it's going to take as long as it takes. Right. And it's going to have plateaus. It's going to have valleys. It's going to have peaks. Mm -hmm. But yet again, can you attune to your partner? Can you love and understand, you know, so many guys, so many men that I've worked with that say like, well, I can't believe she was triggered. You know, I, I came home and there was, you know, the such and such, like this pad of paper was in a different place. And suddenly she thought that I had betrayed her and acted out. And they start in on this. Can you believe it? This is crazy. And I say, let's just stop for a second. You know, all the things you did, all the betrayals, and if it's pornography, it's all the same. It's like, what if she had done that to you? Would you even be there? I mean, would you have left the relationship? Would you have been as strong as she is to fight through this and heal through this? And in many cases, that stops them right in their tracks. They say, holy shit, uh, no, I, I would have been so mad, so angry. I may have left that day. I don't think I would ever have spoken to her again, or I would have felt so ashamed and humiliated and this or that. So 
that is a quick way and a, and a heartfelt way to attune to what their partner's going through and have love and understanding that yeah. it's going to take as long as it's going to take. And we just don't know. Right. I, I mean, working with female sex addicts, right? I will say I don't think as many of their partners stay and work it out. And so when we do see that flipped, right? And she's the yep. addict and he's the partner. Oftentimes they can't stay and work it out. Yep. I've worked with mentors who say that it's one of the reasons because the male ego is very different than the female ego. They can't handle the feeling of, of being one-upped, of right. being cuckolded, right? And it's like I, they can't sit in that. Uh, that feeling of rejection or, or emasculation. And they just, they can't. And whereas that feeling is just as strong, if not stronger uh, for women. But I see, I've seen through the years, some women, some female partners of sex and porn addicts, just, oh my God, the strength and the courage and the uh, fortitude mm-hmm. to be with it. And I've known couples, as I'm sure you have years into their recovery saying, we're more intimate today than we ever were before. We, we don't wish to go through that horrible stuff we went through, but we know each other's souls at this point. Right. And it's almost like, I don't wish this on anybody. I hate what I went through. It crushed me, but at least there's something to be thankful for because the addict and the partner have learned so much more about themselves that may not have come to the surface otherwise. And, you know, while we're speaking of porn, I want to quickly say, Jackie, that what I know through my work is how many unresolved feelings of hurt, shame, anger, humiliation are being acted out through men who become addicted to pornography. There's a term that was coined many decades ago called eroticized rage, where somebody is channeling these unresolved feelings of anger, let's say, but all those other things, things as well, into the type of pornography that they watch, whether it's watching someone else being dominated or imagining themselves being dominated or anything between, whether it's violent or visceral, that there's a part of acting out this lurking hurt and shame and anger under the surface. And the saddest part to me is that they have no idea they're doing it. So instead of... Right, but the porn industry does. Oh, I think they know. Well, they know what people yeah. want. You're absolutely right. And they make more and yes. more of it. There was a, I watched a documentary years ago where this porn producer said something like, and it's just it's a very crass way to say it, but he said, we are trying to feed the appetite of our viewers. And he says, you know, 10 years from now, what are we going to be doing? Cutting people's heads off? Like where, where does it have to get to? Because the more crazy and visceral and violent and humiliating it gets, the more people watch it and people right. want what we're making. But, you know, he was like, I, I don't know what, I don't know where we're going to get to eventually because, you know, eventually it gets to a point where people are, are being physically harmed and yeah. uh, well, they already are, but I mean, you know, are, yeah. on a temper. And, on- and so this eroticized rage really brings it back to and saying like, there's so much anger that doesn't have a channel to go down in healthy ways. It's going down the porn avenue. Could we address the anger in a different way? Yes. I think not only can we, but it's necessary, Jackie. The thing that I find so necessary for men right now, and I've heard this in some of the interviews you hear on my podcast as well, to find a band of brothers, to find like-minded men. And if you don't have that community, create it. Mm -hmm. Reach out. There's, I mean, technologically now, there's so many different ways we can find people, but be face-to-face. If you can't, okay, if you, you know, there's online support groups, sure. or chat, that's fine. Reddit, I know that there's people who really support each other there. But to find people that you can say and take the leap, and it is daring and courageous. If you're a man and you hear this, <laughs> by the way, that's not true. If you're a human and you're hearing any of this, this might be a terribly difficult thing to do. But it's just that men have been beaten down and, and taught that this isn't okay, what I'm about to suggest. It's to say to a friend, a man, I'm having trouble with something. Can we talk about it? Something in my life and blah, blah, blah. And to say, man, this really hurt my feelings. Or I'm so scared about this job interview. I feel like a little kid walking in there. I feel ashamed of this thing I've done or this thing that I feel about myself or I'm ashamed of my body. So many men are ashamed of their body. And that's something that's been attributed to like something women think about. Sure, it is. Men feel it, think about it, worry about it too. They just can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so opening that up and being the courageous one to try to make the relationships more of what you crave, make them more intimate. 
immerse yourself in like masculine energy where you are making it more open, intimate, and vulnerable and doing it with all genders as well. And I have female friendships and male friendships, I think, where I don't know that there's a speck of me they don't know mm-hmm. and vice versa. And right. that's the good stuff. If I meet with a friend I haven't seen in a while, I'd like to know, yeah, what's going on with your job and what's going on with uh, this or that or how's the finances. But what I think we really crave when we get down to it is like, what's going on in your soul, man? Absolutely. Male, female, like what's happening? What, what, you know, your eyes are tearing up. What's going on right now? What are you, you know, what, what are you dealing with that's hard right now? Or my job's hard, you know, tell me more because I want to get to the feelings that I need. Now I'm a therapist, so I'm skewed, but I think I'm a therapist because that's what I crave in real life. Yes. And that's what my challenge is to men right now. Can you embrace that all of your brothers figurative brothers, have the same vulnerable feelings you do. They do, I promise you. It's a fact. No, it's my fact. It's my opinion. Can you be the one that taps into yours and shares it and opens that up and opens it up to your relationship, male or female? Can you bring those vulnerable things? Because that's intimacy, Jackie. That's, can I know you? Can you know me? And and it's a daring, daring proposition, but I dare you. Right. And and I think this is where the healing lies, right? I mean, we've said this multiple times throughout the podcast. I think it's it's the connecting, it's the being seen, it's seeing another person at that level. All of those things are what heals the anger, hurt, sadness, trauma. Yep. No question. It is healing. And creating those communities in which we can do those things. Yeah. In a safe, supportive way. We heal with other people. That's what I believe Absolutely. wholeheartedly. Yeah. Absolutely. So we, I need others and others need me. And it's like, that's, that's how we grow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Anything uh, you want to add before we wrap up or? No, I just want to thank you for the work you do. And thanks for having me. And it's, it's lovely to talk about. Um, can I plug my show? Absolutely. <laughs> it's called The Brave New Man. Uh, we're in our first couple months and I'm um, enjoying it, loving it. We've had some amazing speakers and I'm learning and our audience is learning. So it's anywhere you get your podcasts, a brave new man. And then if you want to come follow us on Instagram, come follow us. Uh, we do pictures, we do quotes, we do upcoming episodes, words of wisdom, and that's a brave new man pod. So a brave new man, P-O-D at a brave new man pod on Instagram. And that's where we reach out and do most of our stuff. Awesome. That's so great. Thank you so much for spending the time with me and for talking about this and for the work that you're doing. Such a pleasure, Jackie. Thanks so much. Thanks. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished until next time, Jackie. The legal stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The prayer of the perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.